With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. Boom, the boys are back, and this is a fun one to talk about. I know you guys had a lot of fun watching that game. So did I. And boy, I have to decide how hard I want to go in on a few folks during this episode, but we'll get there when we get there. It, it, it was just a super fun day. Um, it's a shame that there was so much kind of weather uh, that did damper things a little bit, but we'll talk about that. But before we do... You guys heard that sound. You know what it is. I'm recording this in the morning, but it doesn't matter. After a win like that, I think you can have a breakfast beer or two. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Uh, but I I have a 785 logger right here uh, recording from the Parents Basement podcasting studio here in the capital city of the great state of Kansas. And I think, I think the 785 logger is the perfect beer to accompany me on this podcasting journey today from our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. I saw some of you boneheads in Manhattan Brewing Company after the game. I saw the tweets. I saw the pictures. I saw the tweets and pictures from Friday night. Manhattan Brewing Company is the spot to head to every single time you come to Manhattan. You grab a couple pints, you grab a couple four-packs, and then you head to your tailgate. And then when you're leaving town, grab a couple more four-packs to take home with you they have all these great beers again i think they need to come up with the tailgating four pack with the 785 lager two of the wheats and then their kolsch i'm not going to tell them what to do they're a successful brewery but that's what i would do i'm drinking like i said the 785 lager it is crisp it is refreshing i'm going to tell you guys something else uh tonight after i'm recording this on a sunday uh, after the Chiefs game before Sunday Night Football, I'm going to crack into the Pumpkin Batch Pumpkin Beer as well. They have all sorts of great stuff. Check them out. Oh, almost always over 10 different beers on tap. Anything you could want, they have it there. They also have cocktails. They have all sorts of great stuff. So go into Manhattan Brewing Company. Tell them I sent you. All right. Let's get into this. K-State 40. The Missouri Tigers 12. What a game. I'm going to start off by saying this because uh, I I think there's probably going to be some frustration from K-State fans listening to podcasts Sunday, Monday, listening to sports talk radio 
And this is my statement to listen to not just Bosco's boys, but the other K-State Sports podcast. Because despite how dominating of a win this is, and despite, I think, actually my prediction of us not getting into the top 25 after this game, I think that's going to end up being wrong. Um, You're not going to hear a lot about this game. Uh, The Kansas City Sports Talk Radio, which has next to no K-State representation, the Missouri folks on on their shows, they're not going to want to bring this up. They're all going to talk about KU's win. Good good for KU. 13-point win in an overtime versus West Virginia. We're KU over betters back-to-back years, and that's going to make us money back-to-back years. I'm, I'm not worried about that. Chiefs, hopefully, a win versus Arizona. Again, recording this in the morning. I'm a Chiefs fan. But they're not going to talk anything about this K-State game. And what a wild week in college football it is. We see all these upsets. You know, call, you know A&M going down to... Appalachian State, Nebraska losing at home to Georgia Southern, Texas and Alabama going to the wire. Again, crazy and fun week in college football, but they're they're not going to talk about it. The local media doesn't want to talk about K-State. The reg- I should say the regional media does not want to talk about K-State because they don't care about K-State. They don't care about us. They don't care about you. That's why these shows, that's why K-State Online, EMA Online, Go Power Cat, uh, that's why you guys need to continue to subscribe and keep the folks who actually cover K-State front of mind when you're getting your coverage, when you're listening to stuff, when you're reading stuff. Because they won't care. No one's going to talk about that. But that's fine. That's the way we like it. We like the little bit of chip on our shoulder. We like the spice. We like you know going to the football stadium with a little bit of venom in our hearts. Like I said last week, it's okay to have a little bit of hate as long as you are sending it the right direction. That's what college sports is all about. Uh, like I said, the rain dampered things a little bit. Again, before that first delay, the crowd did end up packing in there pretty good. I think the official number was just south of 52,000. So I think some of the people trying to leak out numbers saying 53,000, saying, uh, you know, one of the all-time biggest crowds ever. I think they were getting a little excited trying to leak that out. Uh, and it is a shame. I, I think that there would have been some real venom. I think it could have been an all-time type great 11 a.m. game at Bill Snyder Family Stadium if it wasn't for the rain. But, hey, that's what happens when you're playing games outdoors in Kansas late summer, early fall. It is what it is. The people who were there, it was it was a great atmosphere. I had a lot of fun before the game. Again, I'm, I'm loving the purple smoke, the big EMAW banner flag in the student section. It was a great and fun atmosphere before the uh, rain delay, and they were causing penalties. We were – causing delay of games we were causing false starts it was a fun and great atmosphere and I, i'm thinking i'm hoping we're going to be able to see that a few more times in bill snyder family stadium i was looking at tickets and i think a lot of tickets have been sold for that Tulane game next week i don't think it's going to get to that fifty thousand. but if you're on the fence and you want to buy from k you might want to do it soon just in case uh it, it was a lot of fun uh also a uh, uh, Maybe the most fun part about this game is being able to make fun of Eli Drinkwitz. This guy has been anointed by the Kansas City media, by some Missouri fans, as the guy who is going to get them back. Oh, he recruits so well. Oh, Seren Petro on on 810 declaring, you know, oh, this guy isn't going to leave for another college job. He's going to be an NFL coach. All this Eli Drinkwitz love. And we put him in an absolute clown suit. The guy couldn't figure anything out. And what does he do? He's acting like Les Miles at the end of the game, calling timeouts, doing trick plays, trying to get into the end zone at the end of the game. 
because he's been ultimately just utterly dominated and embarrassed throughout the entire game. Eli Drinkwitz is closer to the disaster that Les Miles was than he is to Chris Kleiman. And, and I, 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 I am... I'm, I have no time for anyone who tries to hold him up as some great or even good college football coach. I have no time for that. He was he was in his press or press uh, post game press conference talking about how he was surprised how 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 his team uh, played today. Oh, uh, he he didn't expect them to get just dominated by K State. Man, get out of here! Anyone with eyes knew it was going to happen. You know, I, I was nervous and still predicted an 11-point game. But in my heart of hearts, I knew this sort of outcome was on the table. Especially the way the defense played. It's also funny to see him throwing fits on the sideline, seeing his players try to talk shit while they're down 40-6 to six at the end of the game. How we just, uh, no, just getting clown sued by climbing at midfield post-game uh, handshake. I loved it. I loved it. There's there's no one I love seeing fail more than seeing Eli Drinkwitz and his dork ass, his subtweeting recruits ass. Ugh. I wish Avery Johnson would have added him on Twitter after the shit he pulled on Twitter. Trying to trying to troll a 17-year-old. And you're a head coach at an SEC program. Get the fuck out of here, Eli Drinkwitz. Get the fuck out of here. Again, it, it, it was fun to just kick their ass. Their... I heard a, a couple sarcastic SEC chants, a couple sarcastic big or not sarcastic, but some Big Twelve football chants. It was just fun to kick their ass, and I also love the swagger that this team plays with. And I I love Coach Kleiman. He was high stepping down the sideline, doing the you know third base coach sending him on the Philip Brooks touchdown. Uh, he, he he was actually kind of talking with a little bit of swagger, a little bit of uh, comedy. Uh, in his post-game press conference, I think Derek Young asked him if he was irritated by all the penalties. And I, I, I hope he is. I hope he is talking to his team about the penalties because we got penalized too much. But he said, I'm not going to get irritated with anything after a 40-12 to 12 win. I, I like that type of stuff. You see the videos post-game of them celebrating them, having fun. Uh, K-State Athletics, they have that billboard. Uh, it's on I-70 as you're, as you're approaching the West Bottoms going towards uh, downtown Kansas City with Deuce Vaughn on there, and it says, Deuces, drive safely or get home safely, something like that. I like this level of trolling. I like this level of swagger. Uh, this is what makes makes college football fun. This is what makes college sports fun, and I'm so glad we have a coach and athletic department that's subscribing to that, that they're buying into it, they're feeding into it. I mean, hell, we stole one of their, you, you see the post-game pictures and videos, we stole one of their game balls, and we're celebrating with it, you know, in, in the locker room after the game. I think if you pick off a team four times, you, you can do that, and that's fine. And now we have this two-week buildup to the Oklahoma game, where I, I believe by that point, K-State will be in the top 25. Oklahoma's going to be probably in the top five, unless unless they lose to Nebraska. And again, with, with the way week two was, with the way week two was, I, I, I probably shouldn't be saying that because, I mean, God knows we, we, we saw some pretty bad teams pull off upsets this week. I, and I don't think this team's going to look past Tulane. So I'm not too worried about that. But, I mean, hell, who knows? Who knows if Nebraska is going to be able to pull it off versus Oklahoma? I mean, that wouldn't be the craziest. That wouldn't even be the craziest upset we've seen. 
I mean, it, it probably wouldn't even even be in the top five upsets we saw this week. So I, I, I'm not going to say it's a done deal, top 20 versus top five type team, but but it could be like that, and that, that's what the whole buildup is going to be, and there is going to be a true fever pitch, this level of excitement and buildup for that game, uh, which, again, we, we've seen it in, I think, both of the Chris Kleiman seasons that weren't COVID-plagued that build up to that first conference game that's a road game in Oklahoma and it not necessarily working out. But th- that was Stillwater. I mean, Stillwater's been a house of horrors for us more than Norman has, you know, over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But it is it is going to be a fun two-week buildup to that game. All right, um, just real quick, the... Total team stats, K-State 336 yards, Mizzou 222. Time of possession, K-State 32, Mizzou 28. Turnovers, K-State 1, Missouri 4. Penalties, 8 for 68 yards for K-State, 8 for 46 yards for Mizzou. Again, I think we do need to worry about and try to focus in on uh, the penalties. I, I, I do have a little bit of angst around that, even if Coach Kleiman doesn't. Uh, but even eight for sixty-eight. I mean, that's not horrible. That's not that's not end of the world type stuff. I I just would like to see a little bit cleaner third down efficiency. This is maybe my biggest frustration with K State. Four of thirteen on third down. Uh, two for two on fourth down, which is great. Again, game situations dictated that a little bit. I wasn't a big fan. Mizzou five of sixteen, thirty-one point two five percent. Again. Uh, absolutely dominated them. And I actually, thinking back, I think at one point K-State might have been like three of three on fourth down or third down. I don't know. It was not great after the first quarter on third down. Uh, Mizzou did pick up their one fourth down. Uh, not too worried about that. All right, let's talk about the offense. Let's talk about the offense. But before we do, remember the offensive side of the ball review is sponsored by Adopt Don't Shop. If you want a furry friend and a companion for your whole family, just like good old Chauncey Bosco, my co-host, make sure you check out one of the great shelters throughout this country and find your newest family member. If you're looking for help trying to find a good shelter or a place to adopt your next pet in the Kansas City or Topeka area, reach out to me and I can get you uh, together with some great people who can help you find your next family member. All right. Things were great in the first quarter. And I really, and even more than the atmosphere kind of being dampered a little bit, again, I I think for the situation, for the amount of rain, for the delays, I think the atmosphere was better in Bill Snyder Family Stadium than it would have been in almost any other spot in that same situation in the entire country. So props to the fans and props to the students as well. Uh, But I really would have liked to see uh, you know, just in a 70-degree sunny day, what this offense could have looked like. Because in that first quarter, everything was so smooth. Um, I, and it was a lot of fun to watch. I thought it was great play calling in the first quarter. But after that, things completely fell off. And, and I'm starting to get a little weary, a little worried about the offense as a whole. The third quarter had two three and outs uh, with short fields. Um, you know, 16 yards and a field goal you know, 24 yards and a missed field goal. I mean, I you, you get all these short fields and you in three straight possessions, you don't get a single touchdown. That's frustrating. That's that that, that makes me a little worried. And again, we'll talk about Chris Tennant as well, but I mean, only six points from three short fields. I mean, 
That's rough. I mean, you had three plays and zero net yards on one of them on the shortest of all those fields. You know? It was rough, man. Uh, That was not great because you really could have put up a big number if you could have capitalized on a couple of those. Now, we we followed those drives up in the third quarter with uh, touchdown drives uh, that accumulated in two long touchdown runs. Uh, and in both the first quarter touchdowns, they were long sustained drives. So while I am personally a little annoyed, a little frustrated with how the offense played in the second and third quarters, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna spaz out too much over it. Uh, but it is something I'm gonna be looking at. You know, I mean that Tulane game, we need to see something big. But but like I said, uh, you, you can't you can't get too worried because. Rain really does affect that type of stuff, and situations really do affect that kind of stuff. Phillip Brooks takes a touchdown back. You're up 13 points with rain, with horrible conditions. Obviously, that's going to change how you go about the game. So I'm, I'm, I'm not melting down yet, but it is going to be something I'm really looking at. And ultimately, I think after that Oklahoma game, you're four games into the season, I think you get to – uh, really take a step back and be like, okay, this is the offense this year, and y- you can get an accurate picture of it. Chris Kleiman did actually kind of sound a little bit annoyed with some of the offensive questions. I don't know if he was annoyed that he was having to answer them or if he was annoyed with the offense's performance, uh, but go back on uh, KC Online or EMA Online's uh, YouTube page. Both of them have the full uh, press conference on their YouTube, so check that out and let me know if maybe I'm looking a little too deeply at things. Let's talk specifically about the quarterback, though. Adrian threw for 101 yards, 9 of uh, 20. Now, this could have been a lot better because there were a handful of drops by wide receivers, so this could have looked better on paper because, uh, you know, as pointed out above, that first drive, those first two drives, he was spinning the ball. I think uh, before the rain delay, I think he had close to 60 yards. I think most of it happened uh, before the rain de- delay in his uh completion percentage was a lot better. Uh, so I'm not overly worried, but I am hoping to see Tulane. I'm hoping to see a big number uh, passing the ball, more efficient night passing the ball versus Tulane or afternoon because that's a 2 p.m. game. To give me a little bit more confidence going into that Oklahoma game, if we see a similar sort of stat line, a similar sort of game that we had versus South Dakota or – throwing the ball 20 times, only completing nine like we did versus Missouri. I'm not going to be walking into Norman with a lot of uh, passing game swagger as a fan. I I am going to be a little bit worried about that. And then after that Oklahoma game, I think you're at the 25% mark. I I see some of the questions. I've talked to some of the fans. I've heard some of the stuff in the stadium talking about how, oh, is Adrian Martinez the guy? Uh, I don't – if it's not Adrian Martinez – I think Jake Rubley could be good. Uh, I know some people think Will Howard can be good, but there's no world. There's no world, no universe, no alternate timeline where either of those two guys are better options than Adrian Martinez. So I'm never, I'm not going to say never, but I'm nowhere near close to be calling for the backup quarterback to be starting games. Um, But it has been a little underwhelming throwing the ball. Now, running the ball is a different story. He had a couple 10-plus yard runs. Got back into the end zone. Uh, I thought he looked very good as a runner. And ultimately, even if he doesn't 
turn into this uh, big-time passer because, again, if you go back and look at his stat lines at, at Nebraska, I mean, he was running the ball for 100 yards. He was throwing the ball for 300 yards. You know, he, he's the all-time uh, all, you know, yardage leader at Nebraska. We're not seeing anything close to that. Now, when you have Deuce Vaughn, and we'll talk about Deuce Vaughn later, you don't need him to be that guy. But we haven't even seen flashes, really, of that outside of his two touchdown runs. So you know he has it in them. In him. It's just kind of like, okay, um, is that just not what we're ever going to have our quarterback doing? Do we just not have the wide receivers available? Are we just truly staying uh, you know, close to the vest until conference play? I mean, we did have a trick play, and I'm glad Cade Warner decided to just run and pick it up. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was relatively vanilla as well. I mean, the, the passing trees looked very similar to what we saw versus South Dakota. The only real, fl- uh, you know, change was the slow draw pass, uh, read pass to Phillip Brooks that he almost got in, and that double pass. So, again, we're not seeing anything too crazy. We're not seeing these creative route combos uh, and passing game like we did versus LSU. So maybe we are truly just kind of waiting for conference play with that. Only other thing I'll touch on with Adrian Martinez, he, second straight game, he did fumble the ball. We recovered it. Again, uh, when the ball is on the carpet, it, it's all random. It is all random. So, But I do think there probably is something there. I mean, because he, he, he fumbled the ball. He put it on the floor a lot at Nebraska. So it is something to keep an eye on. Again, we've recovered both of them. He's taking minimal actual hits, uh, so the chances for that to go down. But it, it will be something you have to keep an eye on rest of the game. Uh, Jake Rubley did come in, final play of the game, uh, that ultimately is a fumble by Tony Rias, uh, just cementing the idea that uh, Will Howard is going to redshirt. We'll get to the offensive line. Cooper Beebe is lethal. Cooper Beebe is lethal. And for all these you know SEC-type folks, you know Paul Feinbaum, Mizzou homers, all this type of stuff, Cooper Beebe is a better left guard than Missouri will see all season. Cooper Beebe is one of, if not the best left guards in the country. This guy, when he is pulling and getting out there as a lead blocker, that should be classified as a weapon of mass destruction. This guy is a torpedo, and he is going to maul you. He is like a bear out there just running you down, chomping you down, and then letting the offense move forward and get yards. Cooper Beebe is in that same classification with Felix and Deuce because I think all three of them are going to go to the NFL draft early. But if guys, you need to appreciate watching when you get the chance because we've had a lot of good offensive linemen. I think we're going to have more. I think we will have more great offensive linemen, but I don't know if any of them are going to quite be at the high of Cooper Beebe. And Getting to see him pull out there as guard and get up to that second level, it is a thing of beauty. I thought Hadley Panzer, you know, at right guard, had the second best night. I thought he was consistently taking care of his blocks, winning his one-on-ones, getting up to the second level a couple times. I thought he was really good, and that makes me happy because there's a lot of Hadley Panzer love around Manhattan, Kansas. I'm happy to see him starting. Now, I'm a little worried because... Uh, and I'll get to it in a second, but I'm a little worried about the depth uh, because we didn't see any rotation until the game was out of reach. And that is something that Riley and Coach Klein like to do. We didn't see any of it. 
I thought Gilliam, he was good blocking. I, th- I thought he was fine. I thought the interior offensive line was very good. That said, his snaps are a little wild. I'm a little worried about that. They come in hot, and they're off the shoulder. Uh, Adrian Martinez had to make a couple great grabs uh, just to make sure the, the play didn't start off in madness. I'd like to see him work on that, but I also do know how important it is to have a snap with some velocity to get into the play. You don't want to just be floating up the snap and it taking forever to get the play started. So I get it. Uh, it does make me a little nervous. Um, I thought Duffy was fine. I, I think he is like a replacement level right tackle, but when you have that longevity and you can basically say, hey, look, he may not be an all-conference type guy. He may not be a future NFL draft pick type guy, but you know what you're going to get, and it's never going to be a net negative. I think that's fine. You take it. Both him and KT had a couple penalties. Again, I don't think anything was egregious enough to uh, be spazzing out over, so I'm not going to. Um, that said, and again, not not spazzing out, but KT Levinson kind of came back to earth after, outside of that one really bad play versus South Dakota, um, he kind of had a up and down type of game uh, versus Mizzou. I I think he could have been better in run block. I think he could have been better in pass block. I don't think he particularly had a great game. It, it wasn't a failing grade, but it, it definitely came back to the pack and a little bit closer to what I expected after his pretty good game last week. He does not know what to do when he is up on that second level. Um. When you're facing the, when you're facing a combo block, when he's facing a combo block and he's the one going up to the second level with Cooper BB, he just looks lost. There were a couple times where I saw him standing just alone on the second level, where a Missouri linebacker came up and made a play when he could have, if he would have gotten a body on him instead of a two yard gain, that thing could have gone for seven, eight, maybe even more. That is something that. I don't worry about, but it, but it does take away some of that explosiveness. If he can't keep his eyes up and get on that second level defender. Um, and it's always a bad look. It is always a bad look. You know, something went wrong when an offensive lineman is standing downfield, looking back at the play when the running back is getting tackled. And I saw that two or three times for KT Love. Hopefully he kind of gets back in that, uh, you know, B plus range uh, versus Tulane, which we saw uh, versus South Dakota, and gets that confidence going. And we see a good performance versus Oklahoma because again, if you want that upset bid in Norman, you're going to need to crack a couple big plays. You're going to have to have Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez averaging six seven yards a carry. And that's only going to happen if you can reliably get that left side up to that second level. And we know Cooper BB can do it. We just need to see it more consistently from KT Lev. Uh, they, they brought in uh, some guys late. Um, I'd have to go back and really watch. They opened up a great hole for DJ Giddens long run. Uh, but I, I just didn't see enough plays. And I didn't go back and diagram enough from that offensive line. To really say anything about the backups. Uh, moving to the Titans and fullbacks. Ben Sennett really has become the guy for this group. He's playing. If there's only one guy out there. He's playing fullback. If there's only one guy out there. He's playing H-back. Tight end. We see him split out as a wide receiver. I think Colin Klein. I think 
uh, Chris Kleiman. I think they really like Brian LePack. I think they really like Ben Sennett and all the different things he can do. He dropped the ball. He did get a catch for three yards. Uh, you can't be having drops if you're going to be targeting him a few times a game. Uh, but but he is really good. He's really good at what he does. He's very versatile. I, th- I think they love what he gets. And I think you're going to see him out there. And I, I don't think there really is a need to see Christian Moore. And if they think that highly of him, I don't think you're going to see a lot of Jackson E. He was out there on special teams, which I love seeing. He did get that two-yard carry. Uh, but but with what Ben Sennett can do, positional flexibility-wise, different looks-wise, uh, when he's in the game, you, you don't know where he's going to line up. Jacksonine does not quite give you that. So as one of Jacksonine's biggest fans, it, it sucks and it, it's not fun to not see see one of your guys out there. But Ben Sennett is good. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm not too worried about Sammy Wheeler. No stats, but he was in the backfield with Ben Sennett uh, for some of those diamond formations. Granted, I think every single time uh, they shifted down, so they weren't running out of it. So it was like uh, kind of cockeyed uh, pistol formation. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. That the the way we saw that diamond formation two or three times with the motion. I think they're trying to put something on tape to set up something later in the season. I think you're probably going to see that look a couple times versus Tulane with the similar kind of shift down uh, running attack that we saw. And I think eventually this is all setting up for one time where they're looking for something to then hit a big wheel route or a, you know, just a, sizzle route in the middle to either Ben Sennett or Sammy Wheeler. So keep an eye on that later in the season. Running backs, Deuce Vaughn's a real deal. I mean, he's an elite running back. Six yards of carry, two touchdowns, had a long of 29. Second straight week that he had a massive block that led to a rushing touchdown. This this guy's magic. This guy is the real deal. He only had four yards as a receiver. I think the wheel route was taken off because of Cade Warner's OPI. Um. But but just cherish everything you get from him. This guy, again, was only a few yards short of his all-time career high rushing yards. He's getting into the end zone. Every time he gets the ball, he's such a patient runner. I, there, there are some folks who sit in my section that every time he's trying to be patient, they're like, oh, no. But, but he's just waiting for that hole to open up and take that next step and get upfield. He's also a student of the game. Every time he's doing a post-game press conference on the field or in the media scrum afterwards, he's talking about how he's watching so much film. He knows what sort of leverage and what sort of uh, movement and what the shoulders mean for guys that he's going up against. So if he's out in the open field, this guy is taking it for six. Deuce Vaughn's the real deal. He had, again, over 100 yards. He's closing in on Darren Sproles' uh, school record for most consecutive games of 100 yards rushing or more. He's the best player in the Big 12. He is the best player in the Big 12. And I, I'm hoping to see another big statistical night versus Tulane. Keep this type of stuff going. Again, I think eventually he's going to have to get a few more passing or receiving yards or a couple games up above 200, multiple touchdown type games if, if we're trying to get Deuce to New York. But, he, I mean, he's he's the most dynamic running back in college football. He needs, and I, I, I'm sure he's going to get some of that All-American love. He was a consensus All-American last year. He's going to be in the Ring of Honor. This guy is going to be a guy who is up on the Ring of Honor 
at some point in the next 20 years. Because, again, I'm hoping he has a nice long NFL career. But cherish every game you get to see with Deuce Vaughn. He's one of the all-time greats. And he's probably going to be collecting NFL game checks this time next year. So just cherish every game and celebrate him and beat your chest when you're talking to your friends who might be trying to say another running back's better. Beat your chest and get in Twitter fights when people who are trying to detract from the type of running back Deuce Vaughn is. Because again, this is a generational type player. And we saw it once again. He made Missouri's defensive backs look absolutely stupid. Absolutely stupid. He's pancaking some of Eli Drinkwitz boys out there on the field to spring Adrian Martinez for a touchdown. This is a type of player that just makes recruiting analysts look silly, makes all sorts of coaching staffs look silly, and then when they try to tamper with him and try to get him to transfer in the offseason, he hits them with the double bird and says, no, I'm home here in Manhattan, Kansas. He is the player that you want to exemplify and basically say this is a Chris Kleiman player. I can't say enough about him. He's the real deal. I, I will say DJ the Blue Jay Giddens again busted another long touchdown, 28 yards for a tutty, got back in the pay dirt. I know some folks are trying to say, oh, you know, how much can you really say about him? Like the 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 he, oh, the line blocked it so well. Anyone could have scored that touchdown, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. You you guys can say that. But again, he he has that explosive burst. He gets through there. I think he's going to be a multi-year starter and a future all-conference type guy. And again, he might be one of those late-round draft picks in the NFL here in three, four years. Sadly, Tony Frias' only snap he got, carried the ball, fumbled it. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure when he will see some more snaps again. I'm sure he will see a few, but you can't have that. Even in ultra-big-time garbage play, uh, you can't you cannot be fumbling the ball, putting the ball on the ground like that. Sucks for the kid. I'm sure we'll see him a few more times, but he cannot be doing that. Receivers, I mean, we saw a handful of drops um, from across the room. So, I mean, that's frustrating. But, again, that first quarter, Malik and Phillip, they got in a rhythm with Adrian. Uh, Again, Phillip made that great little move and great catch on that uh, quarterback draw, read, pass, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure Jimmy will have a great gif breakdown of that on Twitter and over on Case Down Line. But he was good. Three catches for 57 yards. Knowles, uh, two catches for 26. Seth Porter, one for seven. Cade Warner, one for four. Again, the best play Cade Warner made was the credited rush that he had on that double pass trick play where he didn't throw into coverage on third and one, and he just put his shoulder down and picked up the first down. That was great. Um I am a little frustrated. You're only seeing Brooks and Oles and Warner during parts of the game where the results are still in question. That makes me very worried for next year. And I also think RJ Garcia is worthy of getting some of those snaps. I think he's a type of dynamic athlete that only Malik Knowles is. So getting him on the field in some of these plays I think would be nice. Now, I already touched on it. Whether after the first quarter really affected how you want to do things, especially in the passing game. So hopefully we see the big numbers next week. Um, but even if we don't, hey, it is what it is. It, it, it does it does make you question a few things, kind of how the whole offseason, and one of these years we're going to learn to take everything with a grain of salt, but everything you heard in the offseason about how the offense was looking more dynamic, how they were throwing the ball around a lot more, 
Uh, ultimately, maybe you're going to not take everything, but as Coach Kleinman says, when you got number 22 in the backfield, he, he's going to be a special player. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball, and the defensive side of the ball review is sponsored by our friends over at Charlie Hustle. By now, everyone's seen, or hopefully seen, the new Script Catterdays shirt. They have it in a short sleeve and in a lightweight hoodie. You got the new Kansas State football throwback shirt. I saw all sorts of Charlie Hustle t-shirts out at Bill Snyder Family Stadium yesterday. I'm wearing mine right now. I'm wearing my Faithful to These Colors shirts. I'm going to be wearing my We Own This State shirt later in the week because it's super comfortable. Literally the most comfortable shirts ever. Then after I take a shower again, it's Sunday. So I'm going to put on one of my shirts from the Arrowhead Collection. If you want the best, most comfortable, most stylish, officially licensed K-State gear, you go to Charlie Hustle, baby. You go to Charlie Hustle and you buy it. It's a local Kansas City company putting out some great designs. And like I said, the most comfortable stuff. T-shirts, crewnecks, joggers, hoodies. They got some uh, female uh Razorback tank tops. They have everything you need. So if you want a little bit of purple on Saturday, a little bit of red on Sunday, and just some overall Kansas City pride every other day of the week, check out Charlie Hustle today. All right, defense as a whole, I was so impressed. I was throwing up the mob hand sign over there in Section 7. I was going wild. We were dominating, and we were great at all three levels. All the talk everywhere was how great the running backs looked for Missouri last week. Their longest run that wasn't from their quarterback was 11 yards. They had less than 35 yards rushing that weren't from the quarterback with his scrambles. Now, I mean, I'm a little bit worried about a mobile quarterback, but I mean, hell, they they had less than 100 yards rushing. We kicked their ass. We absolutely kicked their ass. They could not throw the ball. They're averaging only 4.1 yards an attempt. And their superstar, top 10 in the nation, five-star wide receiver that everyone was ranting and raving about, Luther Burden, one, one rush, six yards. One pass catch for three yards. Blair Kirkhoff of the Kansas City Star was going on and on about him all across shows, uh, you know, in Sports Talk Radio on 810, on his own Kansas City Star Sports podcast that he hosts. He was talking about there's nobody on K-State's defense who can compete with Luther Burton. There's nobody on K-State's roster that can compete with Luther Burton. He's a five-star. Oh, he's the type of guy that goes to Georgia, but he's at Missouri. K-State has no one who can match up with him. Now, he picked K-State to win. But he said it was going to be a close game. It was going to be a field goal game because K-State can't contain a guy like Luther Burden. What did we do? We shut him down. Not even 10 yards. Not even 10 yards. He had less touches than K-State had interceptions. We took the ball away from him four times. They could only get the ball to Luther Burden twice. Again, I'm sure Blair is a good guy, and he's not the only one. He is not the only one. We saw it on Twitter all week. Luther, Luther, Luther. Luther didn't do shit. K-State's defense shut him down. Coach Klanderman, Coach Kleiman put Eli Drinkwitz in an absolute clown suit. An absolute clown suit. It might be, I mean, heck, the, the guy I'm sure is going to be have a fine career. 
But if he is really that good, you could only manufacture two touches for less than six or less than ten yards. What an absolute joke of a coaching staff, if that's the case. Absolute joke. They're walking around Columbia, Missouri in rainbow wigs and honking red noses. K-State's defense just shut them down. Just It was a beat down. And if it wasn't for a soft, late penalty for an untimed down, and Eli Drinkwitz calling a timeout with five seconds left, pulling the old Les Miles trick, we still wouldn't have even given up a touchdown yet this year. They, and they punched it in versus our second and third team guys. Over the top impressed with the defense. Just over the top. Defensive line, they were in the backfield most of the game, even though they only got one sack. They were causing havoc and throwing off timing a ton. Again, making it so tough for Missouri to ever get that passing game going, especially once that rain came in. Felix was credited with half a sack. Uh, he shared that with uh, uh, D. Hentz. Uh, Felix had another two tackles. Again, one of the best offensive linemen in the Big 12. Eli Huggins continues to be big time on defense. Three tackles, one tackle for a loss. My guy Uso, Uso got a tackle for a loss, and he was out there on uh, one of those late punts, and he he wanted he went by himself and tried to take on all three members of the punt protect for Missouri, and he almost got a roughing the punter penalty. I love Uso. Uso brings the energy. I absolutely love it. Hence had another uh, solo tackle for a loss. Brendan Millionaire Mott with his millionaire strut had another tackle for a loss, and he's really had a great start to his season. Again, he he was one of those guys that kept getting talked up in the spring and in the fall camp. I'm like, yeah, I need to believe it. He is very good, and he is definitely earned that scholarship they put him on pickle and nate matlack also i didn't i didn't see them uh get any stats but th- they had a good game they were getting back there they were causing havoc they were throwing off timing i love our defensive line i i, I truly love our defensive line eli huggins is the real deal guys so is felix we, we know that. those two guys are legitimately first team all big 12 contenders i mean felix was last year so eli huggins those two, those two guys were having a day. I can't wait to see them continue to tee off versus guys. Linebackers, Daniel Green is back, baby. After a quiet week one, Deuce Green grabbed one of the interceptions. He had a tackle for a loss, led the team in seven tackles. That's the type of Daniel Green I was predicting he was going to have 100 tackles this season. Flying around, laying the lumber, getting his hand on an interception, it was it was good to see Daniel Green. I think he was throwing the lynch mob sign around, the mob sign out there uh, after a couple of the interceptions as well. Love to see that swagger. Austin Moore, the, the the team calls him the machine. I love it. Two tackles for a loss, six tackles. I was worried about him. When the news was coming out that Will Honus wasn't going to be available early in the season, I, I, I was worried. I, I was worried. But he has played and he's been the real deal the last couple of weeks. Led the team in tackles last week. Tied for the team lead in tackles for a loss this week. He's flying around. He's making plays. And, again, it's easier when you have those defensive linemen in front of you. I get it. But he he's put all the worries to bed. Now, is it going to continue that way? I hope so. Again, the, the buildup to Oklahoma now is very real. Because you hope you're going to dominate Tulane again. I, I, I pause to even 
kind of even chalked it up as a guaranteed win after what we saw in college football this past weekend. But if you take care of business there, I will be interested to see what he looks like on the road versus Oklahoma, first game of the season in a road atmosphere. So I will be interested to see what that looks like. But so far, so good. Absolutely over the moon impressed with Austin Moore. Again, Daniel Green, Austin Moore together, there's so many question marks around the Big 12 at the linebacker level. Those two definitely have a shout to be two of the, the, the best combo in the Big 12. So I'm excited to see that as it progresses. Khalid Duke, three tackles, was moving around well. Nick Allen got his hands on an interception. Love to see that. Something to uh, keep an eye on because I mean, it was great performance by all the linebackers as a whole. We saw Des Purnell rotating in some with Khalid Duke. But in like super obvious passing situations, uh, we saw VJ Payne come in to play safety and slide down Josh Moore to play or Josh Hayes to play that Sam linebacker. So we we saw Josh Hayes getting some snaps uh, in that uh, Reggie Stubblefield role that we all loved last year. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Moving to the secondary, I already talked about how we absolutely shut down Missouri's wide receivers. Just shut him down. Echo Boydo continues to take away an entire side of the field. He had one tackle, but quarterbacks aren't even looking that way anymore. And again, because of that, he's he's not going to get the shine, the love, regional media, uh, people who casually watch the Big 12. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, Echo Boydo, one tackle. Who cares? The guy takes away an entire t- side of the field. People do not challenge Echo Boydo. They don't. He got rolled up on um, late in the game, um, so it's something I'm going to keep an eye on. Uh, I think it was an ankle injury. It looked like an ankle injury as he was coming off. So I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Julius Brents also was limping around a little bit. looked like a left hamstring, something just to keep an eye on, keep your ears out for this week. But again, Echo Boido doesn't get the praise or love that he probably deserves Um and I, and I feel like I, I talk about it every week, and I feel like I undersell the guy. He he had a great game. Uh, and here's the thing. So go to the other side. Julius Brent's out here was trying to kill some dudes. When he delivers hits, he ended up with four tackles, and every time he was coming out for blood. Like this guy, I mean, he is bulked up. And, again, he, he has the I – think, I think both of them get drafted. I think we see both boundary corners drafted this upcoming season. But Julius Brents has like the prototypical NFL cornerback type body. If he can stay solid throughout the season, if he can test well, this is the type of guy who gets drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Now, what will end up happening? No, I'm not making that prediction right now. But that that's the type of guy who that's the type of body, that's the type of athlete that can get drafted in the first round. And he plays with some violence. I love it. The debut game of Josh Hayes was filled with highlights. So he missed a sack uh, on the first possession, but he came back, got two tackles for losses throughout the game, played great, I think, the entire game. He was hyping up the crowd. You could tell he loved being out there. You know, he he's used to playing in front of it, and albeit smaller, but rabid North Dakota State crowd. That's where he spent the first three years of his college career. Then he went to Virginia, where injuries couldn't get on the field who cares who wants to play in front of that wine and cheese crowd anyways so you could tell he was thriving enjoying playing that atmosphere uh kobe savage drake cheatham both got two tackles apiece kobe grabbing an uh interception absolute swagger monster kobe 
I absolutely love it. Drake Cheatham looked good out there as well. Sincere Mason had a pass breakup to go with his second interception of the year. Absolutely loved it. Uh, there was one deep ball that went for 39 yards that accounted for almost a third of their passing yards. Secondary played a damn near perfect game. Absolutely love the secondary. They are fun to watch. I, I, I'm, I, I just can't wait for Saturday every week. This team is so much fun. Uh, special teams review. Let's get into it. Look, I'm sure, I'm sure Chris Tennant is a good guy. He, he obviously has a leg on him. He has some kicking talent, but he barely cleared the heads of the protection guys on that blocked extra point. Missed another short field goal, or at least maybe not a short field goal, but a field goal he should have made. This is super concerning. I need I need to see him have a clean game next week. I I'm I'm worried. I mean, it, I it's it's to the point where I I do believe the kicking game is almost a liability for us. He's still young, and again we we've, we've we've had kickers that it took a while for them to get to the standard that we've become accustomed to. But this is an unfiltered podcast. This is a fan podcast. I, I I would just be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit worried about our kicking game. Now, a couple clean games. Clean game versus Tulane. Go perfect on extra points. Kick a field goal or two maybe. And then kick you know a 48-yarder versus Oklahoma the following week. Clean through that. I'll throw my worries out the door. But until we see like back-to-back clean games from him, I'm going to have that worry. Punting, uh, Zentner is very good. If it wasn't for a personal foul on Seth Porter, which I have no earthly idea what he actually did. <laughs> I mean, and again, it was a 15-yard penalty, so that's where a lot of the yards came from. I have no earthly idea what Porter did there. I, I have no idea. Someone someone DM me if you know what he did to get a 15-yard penalty. Uh, but he would have had two downed inside the five. Uh, four punts, two officially inside the 20. No touchbacks, long as 66, an average 54 Altogether, in a very difficult night or day to punt in that sort of weather, Ty Zentner's the real deal. Ty Zentner's the real deal. I was worried after Devin Ankle, but Zentner is the real deal. Return game, uh, back-to-back games where we score off of a punt. Uh, Philly Brooks takes it the distance. Just a perfectly executed play by the other 10 guys. Shout-out to the coaches who drew it up, who saw it in film review and said, hey, we, we can house one. Chris Kleiman, again, with that swagger talking to Stan Wyatt after the game, said he told the team before the game that they were going to get a punt return for a touchdown. Uh, they were so worried about the block um, that they kicked it. Phillip Brooks makes one guy miss. It was perfectly executed. And Phillip Brooks is a talented runner with vision. If you're going to give him that sort of run-up, he's taking that in the house every single time. You know, I think some fans kind of get annoyed with the idea of special teams, you, all this type of stuff. But, I mean, when you are scoring that much on special teams, everyone loves the stat. You know, like no one's even close to us with non-offensive touchdowns over the last 30 years or whatever. I mean, it's fun to watch. It is fun to watch a perfectly executed punt return, man. That'll be on the highlight tape rest of the year for the pregame hype. You best believe it. And Philip Brooks, I think that's either I think that's his fourth punt return for a touchdown. So, you know, he he's he's going up there in the ranks uh, for punt return touchdowns in the uh, school history. I think he's got to be close to being number two. I don't I don't know if he's going to hunt down David Allen, especially if he doesn't come back for his COVID super senior season next season. Uh, but I mean, hey, 
it's a nice little accolade to have next to your name in the media guide. So shout out to Philip Brooks. That was absolutely massive. All right, let's get to grading the keys to V, sponsored by our friends over at the 1012 Network. We're part of the 1012 Network because Sports Drink said, hey, look, 1012, we think you're cute. 1012's like, oh, we think you're cute too. So they got married. The 1012 Network is now part of the Sports Drink platform. Uh, one of the greatest partnerships in the history of podcasting, if you don't mind me saying. So now I get to interact with, I get to be part of the 1012 Network. So check out their flagship show three times a week at 1012 pod and all the great team shows uh i'm sure i'm sure the uh houston pod and the texas tech pods are going to be pretty pretty entertaining this week hell i mean it's going to be an entertaining uh week for all of big 12 podcasting i mean i the raspy voice kids after losing to ku after losing the pit they might be trying to fire neil brown but I don't, I don't blame him. All right, the first one was win the line of scrimmage. Uh, that was from the chef Andre Napier. He wanted to dominate both sides, offense and defense. I think we did. Um, I'm going to give it an A-. minus. I think it could have been better uh, on a handful of snaps on offense and defense. Uh, no, A-. I, it it would have had to be a little bit better on offense um, and maybe get an extra sack or two. Uh, on defense to get to like an A or A plus, but it has to be an A minus. Our big guys dominated. And I loved it. Um, the first one for me is find some sort of passing game. Don't need to bomb it down the field, uh, but we need to you know go deep a couple times, find some rhythm in the medium level passing. I'm going C minus. Uh, those first two drives, you, you're getting that medium level uh, rhythm, uh, but just barely passing. Even that seems a little bit generous. Um, still have yet to connect on a truly deep ball with Adrian Martinez. Um, so that's, again, kind of goes back to some of those worries we have. But I'm going C- minus because I, I don't want to give a failing grade. Um, all right, so from Paracat Ryan, don't fall for the trick plays. I, I don't think we fell for any of the trick plays. I think they tried to do some stuff. They tried to do some misdirection. They tried to do some play action passes. It looked like a couple times they might be trying to uh, get together a trick play, but they didn't. So I'm going A plus on that. And then win the turnover battle. I think this game could get ugly in a good way if we get extra possessions and good field position. And if we come close to uh, the standard that Chris Kleiman has set over the last few years, this won't be a game we should be losing. So ironically enough, we did blow them out, but we only got, I think, I think we got, what, 13 points from those four interceptions, which is which is good. Uh, definitely, honestly, should have been at least 20. Should have been at least 20. Um, but, hey, I, I'm going to give that an A-plus as well. So we're going to get into the game balls, but before we do, remember, we will be back in your RSS feed tomorrow with a Q&A episode, Wednesday for the game preview, Thursday for our whip around show, and Friday you will hear the Q or the Bonehead live show. If you want to participate in the live show, download Spotify Live, be looking on Twitter at 7 p.m. in God's time zone because that's when we're going to go live and participate with us. So let's hand out some awards. The first one going to Deuce Vaughn from Cali Mike. Again, I think most weeks we're going to be able to pencil in Deuce Vaughn for getting a game ball every single week. The guy is the best running back in the Big 12. He's one of the best offensive weapons in the Big 12 and the nation. 
absolute stellar game from Deuce Vaughn. My first game ball is going to Phillip Brooks. You take something in the house, you get a punt return touchdown, and hey, he came inches away from getting a receiving touchdown as well. You are getting a game ball from me. Second uh, game ball from the Boneheads, awarded by Coley Dub, another staple in the live shows. He's going to Austin Moore, the machine, tackles for losses, back-to-back big games. I think that is a well-deserved game ball for Austin Moore. Uh, Game ball number two, mine is going to Deuce Green. Again, tackle for a loss, leading the team in tackles, gets an interception. Deuce Green is back, baby, and I love to see it. Bonehead uh, swagger sticker awarded from Catsman15 King Felix because it sounds like he was talking a little bit of smack out there. Just a little bit of smack talk, which I love to see. You guys know me. I'm fine with a little bit of smack talk. My swagger sticker is going to Sincere Mason back-to-back games with an interception, learning to throw up that mob hand sign. Back from injury, Sincere Mason gets my swagger sticker. And the final award, Chauncey Bosco gets an award this week, or this year. He's handing out the, he's got that dog in him award. That is going to Kobe Savage again interception flying around he is the tone setter on defense so i think chauncey had a great pick for that award all right that is all we have boneheads again episode right around the hour level we're gonna go for probably about 30 45 minutes with the q a show tomorrow uh keep keep that chip on your shoulder k-state fans again no one's gonna talk about this game nationally no one's gonna talk about this game in kansas city support your local folks that are talking about K-State and keep that underdog mentality. Keep that chip on your shoulder. Beat your chest on Twitter out there in person. If you know someone who went to Mizzou, if they even try to open up their mouth, no. Just hit them with a mush. Give them the Heisman stiff arm to the face. You don't need to listen to them until next year. We'll worry about that. We'll worry about that one in, you know, 11 months and 50 weeks or whatever it is. So that's all we got. We're going to be coming to you every single day this week as we build up to that two-lane game. So for all the students out there who stayed through that rain delay, to all the K-State fans, past, present, and future, and for my co-host, Chauncey Bosco, the Wonder Pup, we love you guys, and go Cats. It's time to get set for the Cat Attack. You can feel it coming on for Kansas State. The feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you wanna be with Kansas State. Come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State, come on, join the cat attack. Kansas State, excitement's in the air. Podcast Network.